0: It's Sal Capaccio. 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 Sal.
1: On Sal. WGR. Sal Capaccio joining us from Indianapolis. Coverage of the NFL Combine and WGR brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast sustainable weight loss. Then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com. And by Outlet Liquor, when you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Jeremy White with you, Joe out today, and Sal on the Western Hotline. Hey, Sal, good morning.
2: Good morning. What was the game you stormed the court for? I mean, you never mentioned it.
1: I'm pretty sure it was a Syracuse win over UConn. Um, I'll have to look up like the 1998 Syracuse basketball schedule or 99 Syracuse basketball schedule because I definitely went on the court for a basketball game, mm-hmm. and I—I I know I, I st- the one I remember specifically, and you'll remember this: the McNabb to Brominski t- touchdown to be v- Virginia <laughs> Virginia Tech. I went on the field for yeah. that one,
2: yeah. Uh, th- back, like throw it the other way, he rolls right, he throws yep. left, right. Syracuse that, used to the lo- they used that. to love the yes. tight end
1: throwback play.
2: <laughs> they did. I also stormed the court, the, at the time, Carrier Dome Court. It was 1994. I have the date here. February 12, 1994, a win over Kentucky. Hmm. The, the, uh, Kentucky came to the dome in 94. They're highly ranked. Syracuse beat them. I also stormed the court. Uh, it's, I've always been pro stor- court storming. I mean, doing it, you know, because I think it's a part of the experience. I've always said, I can't wait. Like, we've watched some stuff like that, my son and I, and I'm like, look at these kids. This is crazy. And I said, you know, one day you're going to do that, and you're going to FaceTime me and say, Dad, look at it. I'm on the court right now, right? And I said, and I'm going to be, be like, get, go, go have a good time. But uh, a couple incidents lately, I do think they have to at least visit, you know, how or what to do about it. Not really sure, because I've always thought it was part of the cool experience, but at the same time, you, you definitely can't have people hurt like that.
1: Sure, right. Like, yeah, it's, it, I don't know, Sal, not to get, like, too deep into this, i i having lived the life of the college kid just out there trying to have a good time, but not trying to hurt anybody, but realizing yeah. people do get hurt. That's um, right. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, like, shame those kids for doing the same thing that kids have done to help grow the 100%. atmosphere for college basketball for decades. But, of course, if college basketball did want to make some sort of adjustment, I, w- I would see the, the reason.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I, told, I hope Filipowski's okay. I think he sprained his ankle, but, you yeah. know, it was a shame to see. But it was a cool scene as well. Like, I mean, you know, for me watching that, like, wow, look at that. And then you see that happen. So, yeah. Um, hey, look, I mean, we, we live in a city, Jeremy, to bring it back to football. We, the Bills fans, it hasn't happened now. It's not going to happen now. They made changes. But, I mean, the goalposts came down a few times in Buffalo when yeah. Bills, the Bills won big games and the fans, you know, stormed the field. Yeah.
1: I wonder, could it happen again? Like, if they were to win the AFC title at home, would people, like, try and jump on the field? People try, I mean, oh,
2: some I'm sure people would try. I just don't know if it would be able to happen these days. Yeah. Also, but there's no reason, well, you might, they might want to go down the field, but there's no incentive to tear down the goalposts anymore because they're not right. mechanical. Right, And right. they just basically come down on their own before that. So, Sal, you're in Indianapolis. Sean McDermott spoke
1: yesterday. Um, Talked for a, a good long time, right? Like, there was a lot to get to for the head mm-hmm. coach. Uh, what'd you come away with as a as, as a big picture from what McDermott had to say?
2: Well, look, I mean, his staff is getting younger, and there there was you know the first question was about you know Bobby Babbitt, who's his new defensive coordinator, and if he's going to call plays or if Sean's going to call plays, and he said they're still working through that. Now, I'm sure that they're at some level of understanding of what they want to do, and he didn't reveal that to us. Um, but I wouldn't doubt that they really are going to work through it, and maybe there's a mind of and by him saying that, by the way, because I just want to rewind, rewind a year, okay, Jeremy. Last year, after we found out that Leslie Frazier was not going to be, you know, on the Bill staff, it came out, and I learned, and other people learned pretty quickly within the next few weeks that Sean McDermott was going to call plays. Like, it wasn't said, but we knew it. Like, we were told, okay, this is where it's trending, this is where it's going, you know, just by people who kind of knew things, and then eventually it did. It's been a month since Bobby Babbage has been named defensive coordinator, and they're still talking as they are working through it. That That lends itself to me to think that, there's a good chance that Bobby Babbage might do it because we haven't heard anything about, you know, McDermott keeping it right now. So that's interesting. That's just my guess and my read on it and trying to read the tea leaves.
1: On that, you know, I, I remember at training camp asking McDermott this last year about taking over calling plays. If that was because like, if he felt more comfortable taking over play calling in part because he had veterans on the offensive side, like think back to the start of training camp, Sal, he had Dorsey entering year two. As opposed to a first-year play caller, and the number of veterans that would have been on that offensive staff, like to me, that's one of the reasons he was able to step away from the offense and focus on defense. And now, like as you bring about bring up all these changes, and this includes a new special teams group, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, young coaches, he might want to have more of a you know you could say a step back CEO, but it might. Whatever, whether that seems like it's hands off, that just might be more hands on in different ways.
2: Yeah, not special teams, but secondary for sure, right? You Thank have more you, guys. Different coaches. Yeah, that's all right. You have different coaches in the secondary. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see because uh, he does have a younger staff. You know what he said, Jeremy? It was really interesting. I think you'll like this. He mentioned it was kind of a just a a comment that you really didn't really think about until I went back and re-listened. And he mentioned how he's got younger coaches and a few who've been in college, even Bobby Babich, who's been in college, Um, Jamila Dye now, the new corners coach, who's been in college, a couple other guys. And he says, and they see the game through a couple different prisms. And I thought that was interesting to say something like that, right? Like he's actually thinking about how these guys came up through college where the game has changed a little bit more and they're doing things and now they're being added to his staff. So don't think for a second that didn't matter. Right? That, like, he is thinking about how the game has evolved in different ways, and these guys have seen it through their lens. So I thought that was an interesting comment just to say, hey, we have guys on the staff who've been in college and, you know, see things through their prism and uh, through a different lens, basically. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Uh, the other thing that, you know, you could touch on that if you want, but the other thing that I thought was really interesting is I asked him about creating offensive uh, explosive plays on offense. He talked about it when he met with the media at the end-of-season press conference, and he reiterated. I mean, this is something that I think the Bills have really talked about. So his quote was, and I think this is where it's kind of even evolved a little bit, from a month ago, Jeremy, where he mentioned rack. Now, we've heard about rack before, right? I mean, we yep. knew that the Bills wanted to be a rack team. And it's like, okay, well, this is what they want to do. He didn't go full out and say, we have to be better at rack. What he said was, though— Whether it's able to throw the ball down the field and complete it through the air down the field or get a short catch and run it down the field, you have to have the ability to do that, especially because of the way defenses are defending you these days. Split safety looks, keeping everything underneath, making you be patient. That's fine, but there better be a play in there where you get it down the field somehow. And that was really interesting.
1: Sal Capaccio joining us in the Western Hotline from Indianapolis, you know, on that, the pursuit of those plays and the pursuit of explosive plays to find out they were 19th in the league in in explosive passing plays was, it's kind of jarring probably for bills fans, because, you know, even though you see defenses key in on certain things, you want to find a way. And I I think this is what the bills are kind of getting at where Josh Allen really does have as many things at his disposal as possible. Just the, the presence of someone that can give them those explosive plays means that it seems to me, Sal, it means it would be defended differently, and life should just get easier overall for Allen.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think that that's that been a bit of a theme here, which is make life easier on Josh. Make things easier on Stefan Diggs, which, you know, again, has been something talked about, you know, this offseason. Brennan Bean, I went back and re-listened all the stuff he said about Diggs, and he said, you know, we have to get him more help so teams can't bracket him and take him away. You have Sean McDermott talking about explosive plays and player acquisition, so I, I just think that already we are set up for this week of there. They I think they bought a ticket on your train. I mean, I'm just saying. I think they did. Yep. That's what I think is happening here. To be honest with you, yeah.
1: They've also started restructuring season. We saw Connor McGovern freeze yeah. uh, up about 3.4 in space. <laughs> Has uh, I, I you know when when talking about all these restructure sales, one of the things we kind of have to watch is to see how aggressive they want to be doing it. And I wonder if in in conversations with Brandon Bean in the past, do they have that as something that they know they're going to do or is it we'll see. You know, we might not plan on moving player X's money around, but if it's the difference between getting this free agent defensive end or not, we might
2: decide in that moment to do it. They don't love doing it. Uh, Brandon Bean would rather not do that a lot, but he he's willing to, and he said that but he doesn't love doing it. So the Bills basically, the way I see their contracts written, and you know when you look at some of the base salary and how they do this, I think they kind of build it into their own structure of you know what we're going to give a high base salary in a couple of years that'll give us that ability at that time if we need to, but if we don't need to, then that's fine, and we don't have that you know that cap challenge right there. So to me, it's a little bit of. Uh, the latter of what you said, which is we'll do it if we need to. And I, I think they know for the next few years they're going to they're gonna have to get creative and do this a little bit. And you're, you know what you're going to see this year, Jeremy? I, I can almost guarantee you. Same thing you saw with Leonard Floyd last year and maybe another guy or two. I know I know a Milano extension and when they extended Hyde, Deion Dawkins. Whether it's extension or um, signing, you're going to see void years. Now, I've been asked by people, what is a void year? It's a good question. You know, you talk about it's a new language kind of we've learned over the last few years because teams are really taking advantage of it. The Saints do it a lot, as you know, that they kind of ex- keep extending their salary cap. The Bills have done it a lot more often here. So what a void year is, is when a player signs a contract for, let's say, four years and you give a $20 million signing bonus. Normally, that's $5 million each year on the cap. It's simple. It's $20 million divided by four. But what you do is you add what's called void years. They're fake years. So you actually sign a six-year contract to spread that money out even more. But years five and six don't count. The player's actually a free agent. They void. So you're counting it on your cap for your purposes of spreading it out. And it does cost you on your cap when it comes time. But the player's actually a free agent. This, ha- this is happening with Leonard Floyd this year. Leonard Floyd signed a one-year deal last year for $7 million, But the Bills put one void year on it. So for the Bills, it was a two-year deal. For Leonard Floyd, it was a one-year deal, if that makes sense. That's basically the best way to put it. For the team, it's, you know, the the void years count for money purposes. For the player, the player's a free agent after the term that it's up.
1: Sal Capaccio joining us on the Western Hotline from Indianapolis as uh, the Combine Gets rolling this week. The entire NFL world descends upon it. So I wonder, you know, back to McDermott a little bit. His comments on the competition committee, which yeah. that's a thing that I was reading about. It that um, boy who boy, it's, it's gonna, I'm going to blank on this. Somebody said it's actually a pretty high honor that for a coach to be selected for the competition committee means that you know the yeah. the league has decided this guy he rates, he matters, he's pretty safe. We can count on him. He It, it, it kind of makes you a figure in the league on some level.
2: I, I would say, Jeremy, for my money, and I think that a lot of people would agree, it is the most prestigious committee you could be on in the league. You are appointed by the commissioner, Roger Goodell. And you, yes, the, the, if you look at the people on the committee, they are you know people who have a stake in this league. They are head coaches, GMs, front office executives with people with names who've been around. Mike Tomlin's been on the competition committee for years. Rich McKay has been the chairman of the competition committee. He's the CEO of the Atlanta Falcons. You have Katie Blackburn. She's the executive vice president of the Cincinnati Bengals. Chris Greer, who's the general manager of the Dolphins. Stephen Jones, we all know him from Dallas. John Mara, president, New York Giants. Then you have McDermott and McVay, who were just named, and Mike Tomlin. Now, sometimes it's nine people sometimes it's 10 or 11 I think it's been as much as 12 I don't think there's an actual number that you know has to be um you know I've heard people think that you know you're not going to be selected unless Goodell thinks that you're going to be around a while and I'm sure that's true it doesn't mean that he necessarily thinks you're going to be the head coach of that team for a while but you'll probably be in some sort of prominent position in the league for a while which is why guys like McDermott and McVay and Tomlin you know get chosen. So it is a very prestigious committee. He, it was kind of like, I I thought he was kind of describing like the hall of fame, the way it works. He said, Troy Vincent texted him and he got a text and he thought that the team did something wrong. Like he had to call Troy Vincent back. Right. And then he called him back and he was asked and he said, it was pretty, pretty humbling. And he even got a text. He said from Bill Polian about it, how important it is because you're a steward of the game. You are creating and discussing rules that will last Really, you know, generations for the game, possibly, but definitely for several years. So that's what their task is this week. So just so everybody's clear, they're not voting on any rules this week. The owners and everybody, they're not all getting together for that. That's the owners' meetings in a month. They're laying the groundwork. The committee talks about these things now. And then from there, you'll have those proposals that happen at the owners' meetings in a month.
1: Okay. And, uh, you know, on on being on that, I don't don't know if this came up, Sal, is McDermott... Would he be comfortable? Is he allowed to talk about how he, what he thinks about some of these things? Because there are two big <laughs> ones right now that I think fans have a lot of opinions on. One, what to do about kickoffs. Troy Vinson said that they can't keep going the way they've been going on kickoffs because it's a ceremonial play. Mm. And then the other is the fumble out of the end zone, which I saw Judy Batista reporting. There's not a lot of momentum to change that. And, you know, Mac- McDermott being a part of the committee. Now, the committee doesn't decide, but like you said, right? They, they just take it to the rest of the league
2: for a bu- for a big vote. They do if there's enough momentum. Gotcha. right? They'll discuss it. And if the competition committee feels like this is something we have to take to the rest of the owners at the owners' meetings, um, they may decide here there's not enough there. They could be like, eh, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going to waste our time when we get to the owners' meetings. So we did. We asked them, like the, the little media that was around there, we asked Sean McDermott about this, uh, each one of them, which was, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Each rule that came up. And in a typical Sean McDermott fashion, he never really gave you a full answer, but he also kind of joked yep. and said, "Well, I'm on the committee now. I can't really give my stance on it." Um, he he did kind of to me give a little bit of an indication he feels a little bit about the the fumble out of the end zone rule, the way it was described by Judy, which is, "Hey, you got to protect the ball, right?" I mean, that's and he said, and "Yeah, it, it benefited the Bills in their game against Kansas City. We know that, right? The Bills got the ball back when Kansas City fumbled it out of the end zone." And I even said that to him. I said, I know despite the fact that your team benefited from it in a game, like what what do you think about it? But he mentioned the player, you know, make sure that the player holds on the ball. He said, that's a a coaching point. You know, you coach, You 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 got to be able to hold on to the ball. So I kind of feel like where he might stand on that. He didn't give an indication on the other ones. He basically said, like, he's done a lot of listening and hearing what other people have to say, and it's a lot to take in. And then from there, they'll discuss more.
1: Cell, so I found the date. I can tell you the date that okay. I st- that I stormed the court. I I've i There you go. Because it's I'm I'm a student at Syracuse, and they beat UConn, and it was would have been the game that they started the season. Syracuse did 16 and 0, and they were ranked f- fourth <laughs> in the country, and they beat UConn, and went on to uh, who knows what they did that season, but they kind of blew out UConn. They were up big at the half, and yeah, 44 26 at halftime. So this was a game that was kind of over a long way through. So it would have been January 24th, 2000. I stormed the court at the Carrier Dome. Mm. Now, this is a good example, though, of like what we're talking about. How Dukes is a close game, and do you pull your starters? This is one where Syracuse fans, a college kids, sorry, stormed the court, winning by 14. <laughs> like <laughs> They had a chance to say, like, all right, let's let these idiots get on the court, and let's get security to get the players to safety, and let these idiots run out here. Because... You know, a 14-point final minute of the game, you can prepare for that kind of thing.
2: Yeah, and um, I disagree with the caller called earlier who said it's a four-point game. Get your starters off. Four points, man. There are four-point plays in basketball, and I know they're very rare. But all it takes is for a technical foul for something stupid, you know, and then your team gets the ball with a second left, or if a player—we've—they're college players, right? They do dumb things sometimes. That's the charm of college sports, where you know they sometimes things go awry, where maybe you throw it in, and Kyle Filipowski, for example, goes up for a three, and someone bumps his elbow while he. Drains it, right? yep, yep. so I wouldn't get the starters off in that in that situation. That's a little uh, too thin. Now that said, I think the challenge now, Jeremy, is for you to find that Syracuse UConn video of two thousand <laughs> to see if you see yourself. I have looked for the Syracuse Kentucky game in ninety four. I can't find it. I only find the other Kentucky games that they played, like in the national championship. So if you can find that one, maybe we could see Jeremy and his flow running right, on yeah. the court after that game.
1: I didn't have flow back then. I had a lot much short, uh, much shorter hair okay. in college. Yeah, <laughs> but here's the name: a blast from the past for you, Jake Voss. He's on that UConn team.
2: Jake Voskell. Jake Hey, speaking of blasts from the past... I, uh, amazingly, so I went to the Damon basketball game this weekend. It was great. Great college hoops here in the area. If you get a chance, D2, Damon, they played uh, Duval. I didn't even realize Duval was D2. They used to be D3, I guess. But, you know, it's it's really – Mike McDonald's just done such a great job with that Damon program. And, you know, we went to the game, saw Murph there, uh, former Bills trainer Bud Carpenter was there. There's a, Howard Simon is there? Howard Simon's doing, like, some play-by-play for the radio for those games. It's crazy. So, I, I you know you're big when Howard Simon shows up to your game, right? But anyway, I'm looking through the roster, and I see the name Shumpert from Syracuse. Preston Shumpert, who was a great shooter at Syracuse, both of his sons play at Damon University. And I did not know that until I went to the game. And Preston was at the game, and I got a chance to speak to him as well. So that was really cool.
1: He was on that team, too. And I did find the highlight. I'm I'm, I'm watching the court storming from January 24, 2000 right now on YouTube. Sal, what's going on with this week? Uh, the schedule for you and for the Extra Point Show, the Northtown Automotive Extra Point Show, as we kind of roll through with our our continuing combine coverage.
2: Really important day today. We're going to hear from Brandon Bean today. That's at one fifteen p.m. So yeah, I'll have I'll be on the Extra Point Show. Uh, Joe's off today, but Zach's going to fill in for him. And Zach's going to be back in the studio where you are. I'm going to be here. We're going to be walking around. Well, it's the convention center, but there's this big room where everybody speaks, and there's a lot of media there. There's a media room. I'm going to grab some people, uh, kind of bring them on, get their thoughts, so we'll do that. But Brandon Bean at 1.15 p.m. today. There'll be more competition committee stuff going on. Today's really the day, Jeremy, where things get going. It's the first full day. We're going to hear from a lot of general managers, I think some head coaches today. I think general managers and head coaches. It's all different, but... Like every 15 minutes, there's different podiums going on and different people talking, so you go over there. Brandon Bean's the one that you know we're going to be uh, thinking about and, and caring about mostly, and then obviously the players, the prospects. They start rolling in. Defensive linemen and linebackers are first to go. They start rolling in today and talking to the media as well.
1: All right. Sal Capaccio from the Combine. Thanks, Sal. You got it. Continuing coverage of the NFL Combine brought to you by Awaken 180 Weight Loss. Fast, sustainable weight loss, then free support for life. Awaken180weightloss.com. And by Outlet Liquor, when you need to stock up, it's the place to buy a case. What's your outlet? Have placed a Twitter poll up. Have you ever stormed a court or a field? Where and when? Got a lot of answers. Look at at all these degenerates just looking to take pictures of themselves on a court. Look at you all. Um, We'll get you the numbers on how many people have. And haven't and if you want to tell your story 8030550 have you done it you stormed a court you've been on a field maybe not like as a streaker but you know the usual kind the no- the normal kind that might not be normal going forward if jay billis and uh, a lot of the college world gets its way of banning those which you know hey there'd be merit 8030550 on WGR.
2: as an Arizona
1: player, Duke players. Typically, the really good teams, I've had the court stormed on me four or
2: five times. It's a part of it, it sucks. You don't wanna see this. There has been things that happen, happened, but this is about college basketball. This is about college football. To say something, and I love Jay Billis, a legend in this game. That is asinine to suggest that, because for me, when you look at this, yes, get your players off the floor. We saw the situation with Caitlin Clark, but this is a part of college sports.
1: It always has been for, what, 40 years, 50 years. You know what? Even in football, you're going to stop all the people from running on the field when Alabama loses to Florida A&M? No, you're not going to stop it. That's Richard Jefferson. Got a lot of court storming takes flying around and I think they're all they're all right. Is that fair? Jay Billis, I watched a in the break, I watched a video of Jay Billis from a month ago. He's on a court at a college basketball arena in front of fans for, you know, college game day. And here they are, college game day, talking about court stormings, not because of the Duke one. This is a month ago. And on the screen it says four courts stormed this week. And here's Billis to talk about how it shouldn't ever happen. And the fans <laughs> the fans boo him. You know, you've seen College Game Day. I really think, and he, he, he makes a correct point to say that ESPN and all of the college atmosphere, the building of college sports into this crazy, you want to say powder keg, whatever you want to say, it has all happened as a result of boosting up how intense it's supposed to be. Duke has long set the standard for how intense these games are with the Cameron Crazies and, you know, whether over the years it's Dick Vitale or whoever, college sports, college game day. Look what college game day does every single week going to these big college football games, and there's 5,000 people standing behind the stage holding up these very weird signs. Some of them are crude and get seized. Others are just kind of funny. Others, you have to look up the meanings online. You know, it's just... College sports has become, you know, whatever cultish, however you want to say it, and a lot of a lot of people go go to college, and whether you're watching D three, D two, D one, or you know they've got for different names now, it just seems to me like acting like it's a problem now or today. Like there's one there's one piece of the quote from Billis that I don't like because I think it's just low hanging fruit. It's the entitlement of the kids. Oh, okay. I mean, were the the people that ripped on the goalpost when the Bills beat the Dolphins, were they entitled? that's, That's a word that gets used by old people today to talk about young people today. Oh, they're entitled. Court storming has been happening long before entitlement became some sort of buzzword about a generation. So that part of it misses me. The rest of it, safety of players... Safety of students. Yeah, I get that. That makes total sense. I have stormed the court once and a field once, both while I was at Syracuse. They got wins. Looking back, would I say that storm the court for a 14-point win against UConn was necessary? No. But, you know, a lot of times it's also not exactly violent like it was Wake Forest Duke. It's kind of just, I'm going to walk out here. And then, uh, all right, I'm looking around. So this is what it's like to stand at mid-court. Okay. Now I'll go back to the dorm. So eight oh three oh five fifty. I put up a Twitter poll. Have you ever done it? And if so, where and when? And have a lot of stories uh, to get to via Twitter. And Tim in Rochester is going to lead us off. Hey, Tim. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Doing well.
3: So I got a little different one. This is from about spring of 2003, winter, spring. Um, I was going to a small uh, D3 school out in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, we had a pretty decent cross-country team. So we got to sometimes go out and uh, run against the big boys at Michigan. We had a nice indoor track out there. So it was always real exciting. Um, for any folks who were into distance running back then, Alan Webb was, you know, a really good college miler. So we got to run against him. That was cool. So, you know, do a race, get waxed <laughs> by the big boys. And then we go for a cool down. And a couple of the guys that were, you know, on my team, they're all – from michigan so they're like hey let's uh let's uh go run over by the big house <laughs> i was like all right all right that's cool we'll check that out and so we get going we are over there and i was we get to the gate and i'm like hey, hey there's no lock on this gate <laughs> are you thinking what i'm thinking <laughs> and they're all like oh yeah we're in <laughs> so yeah we stormed the big house and this is like you know probably february so there's snow everywhere and if you if you watch games um, you know, you got the brick wall. It's probably about six feet tall, maybe, or so. Yeah. Jumped down onto the field. And we just start, you know, running around, tackling each other, a bunch of skinny little twerps, <sighs> distance runners, you know, <laughs> throwing snowballs. It was just great. You know, nobody nice. bothered us. Didn't get caught. Definitely, like, such a cool memory, though. Just to look up. And that, I mean, the big house is enormous. Yep. You ever been there? Yep. It's just just insane. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a cool one.
1: Very cool. Thanks, Tim. You know, just... That idea of standing at ice level, field level, for a building that you grow up maybe going to and never being in that spot, I mean, it's pretty cool. Josh, you were—you went for the, the company, had a skate at the arena a couple weeks ago, and you are posting pictures from that. And I, I We went a couple times where the Sabres would have season ticket holders. At the end of the season, you can paint the ice. You know, and then they take pictures. It's a really cool event for... You know, kids and families, you go paint the ice when the season ends. Hopefully do it again this year. And, you know, I've been to that building a lot of times. And there's something about walking on the ice or being down on it where you kind of look up and see and you can't help but just think like, man. It's 19,000 people. There are much bigger stadiums. There's the big house. But being at field level of, of a stadium that you've gone to a million times and been up in the stands, it's an experience. That's the one thing I couldn't stop doing when I was skating around. I was I just kept looking at all the seats and thinking, oh, I've sat there, I've sat here, I've sat there. And it's like, it's it seems so small when you're, like, way up in the 300s, but when you're on the ice, every everything looks huge. And it's it's just such a surreal experience. I don't even know if I can really fully describe it because I, I just couldn't get over the fact of, like, looking at everything yeah. and seeing, like, the little things that you can't see from the seats. And it's just, I don't know, it's really interesting. Yeah, it gives a perspective of being the person in the spotlight that's down there at the the pitcher's mound or whatever. I think about this with different places I've been. When I went to Barcelona, walked out onto the field where Barcelona plays, and that's a, that's a gigantic stadium, and you just think, man, what this place must be like to be a person on the field here. That's like 100,000 people. It's crazy. They have seats that... My my memory of that place is I'm I'm looking at some of the seats thinking like that can't be up to code like I think there's a seat on top of the jumbotron on the one end and one stacked in the corner. How many seats? Ninety nine thousand three hundred and fifty four. Yeah. that's probably the biggest one I've ever been in because I, I have shamefully I've never been to the big house. I know, I know. I don't know how it's gone. I've gone this far. I've been to Michigan several times. I went to Yost Ice Arena a handful of times. I've been next to the big house. I needed what Tim did. I needed needed to just walk by and find the door open. And then, you know, just walk in. Steve in Buffalo is next up. Hey, Steve, good morning.
3: Hey, good morning. I really enjoyed your topic this morning. It brought back a fond memory for me. Uh, I was 14, and I used to go to the Bills games with my dad and my uncle, who are no longer with us. Um, I went to the championship game when the Bills beat the Chargers, and I got on the field, and one of my memories is the – Back then, they had the two goalposts, and the guys were tearing down the the goalposts, and I got to touch the pad like it was almost like a holy grail that protected the goalposts. And it was just, it was pandemonium there. Uh, It was crazy that when the Bills beat the Chargers, and they were basically losing that game until the Keith Lincoln, uh, Mike Stratton play. And it was a very exciting time. So thanks for the memory, guys. It was exciting.
1: Yeah, thanks, Steve. 1964 championship game. Uh, Johnny in Buffalo. Hey, Johnny, good morning.
0: Hey, good morning, guys. Um, you know, a couple court sermons that I love to see. Um, one of them was Syracuse back in 2007. I was at the game. Uh, they played Pitt, and Pitt was ranked like number two or three in the country. Um, and Cuse was on an unbelievable run. Obviously, that's a mellow year. But Cuse, uh, end of game situation, somebody launches ball down the court. Everybody, team crowd thinks the game's over. They rush the court, uh, but they have to review it. They put, like, I don't know, a second back on the clock so they have to clear everybody off. Uh, they clear everybody off the court. I uh, can't remember the Pitts player name. Ridicu- they had some ridiculous guards back then, but inbound the ball, half-court shot. Crowd thinks he got it off late, but he hits his half-court shot. And so they have to clear the court again yeah. to review it. And then uh, after the review, no good. Crowd finally rushes for a third time. You know, pandemonium on the court. That was awesome. Um, and then one on a much much smaller level, uh, crowd, court ceremony that I was a part of. Um, I went to Canisius College, and uh, back in two thousand eight, it was um, Canisius was on like a twelve game losing streak, playing Niagara, who had you know one of the better players in the country actually uh, on the team, and. Kanishius, 12-game losing streak. Frank Turner and, and the team—they just won by I think three points. Crowd rushed the court because we had a you know we had a top ten, number one play on Sports Center that night from a, a ridiculous dunk from Elton Frazier. It was a lot of fun to rush. You know, you just you're caught up in the moment of everything. And no matter how big or small the school, um, I feel like when you're a college kid, you've got so much energy. You know, you're with your you, you're with your people who, you, who you're living with, who yeah. you're doing life with here. And you're, you're supporting a team, you're supporting your school, and you're having fun. And I, I can't see court summer getting taken out of the game because that's what college sports is. It's emotion. Yeah. It's raw
1: passion. So I love it. Yeah, thanks, Johnny. You know, I've been texting with Howard the last couple of days um, just because his son went to Michigan State. And, you know, to to watch Howard even – kinda of just over the over those years when that was happening, just jump on and be like, Well, now now I'm a Spartan. <laughs> like I that's the 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 college whatever, that atmosphere. These these court stormings, these college athletics, it is hundred percent a tool for recruiting. The idea that you can get students to come to your school because they will have hey, here's this thing that we all love to rally around. I mean think about we sit here and talk about the Bills and the and the Sabres and we talk about sports all day, and a lot of times when you are a fan of a team, it's because you're born there. Your dad, your mom, you know, your sister, whatever. They were fans before you, and you woke up, and you were wearing Zuba's onesies, and you're watching the Bills. like That, that was chosen for you. That's your life. And when it comes to college sports, you get the opportunity to say, well, I'm going to go here instead. You know, If you have the opportunity to go to college, it's not for everybody. It doesn't need to be at all. But one big selling point is like, hey, you want to go to Alabama? This is what we do on Sundays during football season or Saturdays. So we do on Saturdays during football season. And that can be a, a big pull, of course. So well, you know, all things equal. I got a good education here. I get a good education here, but I have the chance to Oh, I'm a Kentucky basketball fan now. Oh, I'm gonna be Whatever. It's just it's it's definitely a selling point. And they don't sell you specifically on court storming, but what court storming is is it is a byproduct of that that passion, that unification, that bringing everybody together that sports does. Except this is often more people from around different parts of the world coming together. You've got you know students from all over, so it's hard to envision college sports without that. We don't really get it in the NFL anymore. When's the last pro sports? event where the, it just doesn't happen and it's probably because it's not a bunch of college kids standing right in the first row or a whole student section probably hockey why don't they don't get stormed I feel like the ice is the main factor well in the one time somebody tried to do that Rob Ray beat him up so it didn't go well <laughs> see there you go college basketball here's your solution uh, put in a mechanism where as soon as the buzzer sounds the court turns to ice <laughs> Like no one will run out there anymore. Like ah, all right, I'm good. I don't know if that's feasible. Probably not. I don't think science is advanced no. enough yet. We don't have instant frozen courts. No, the best we've got is the time lapse videos of changing a court to a rink. And those usually take like two hours. The time lapse is five minutes or two minutes. Anyway, eight oh three oh five fifty one eight 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 five fifty two five fifty. On your court storming history, if you've got one, you can join us here on WGR. Jeremy White with you. Don Granado, Sabres head coach. He's coming up at 8 o'clock. Uh, we'll check in on the state of the Sabres. They are in Florida with a couple of big ones coming up. Tough set of opponents these next couple games to follow their three-game win streak. So we'll see if they can keep things rolling and keep things alive. You know, alive. Also an update coming on Jeff Skinner, who left practice and was going to get some imaging. We'll see what Don can tell us about him. It's all coming up here on WGR. It's contest time once again. Be Caller 5 to win a four pack of tickets to the Western New York Sport and Travel Expo coming to the Hamburg Fairgrounds March 8th through 10th. Visit WNYSportsShow.com for details and tickets. Caller 5 wins a four pack of tickets to the Western New York Sport and Travel Expo. That's 2214WGR. That's the number you're going to call 2214WGR. Jeremy and Joe, but no Joe today. He's out today. Just me. If you missed Sal from the Combine, he checked in at 7 o'clock. We'll talk with Sabres head coach Don Granado coming up in a moment. Sabres and Panthers tonight. Florida, of course, has uh, been red hot. They've been very, very good after, uh, I guess, a slow start. They were not exactly uh, up near the top. But now, checking the standings daily. Like I'm, watch- Florida's chasing down Boston. They've got two games in hand. And they're down by just two points. So, tough test for the Sabres in playing the Florida Panthers, who have won eight of their last ten. And the Sabres have a three-game win streak. So, try to make it four. If they can, it would be their, of course, first four-game win streak of the season because the three-game win streak was their first. Florida, Tampa, Vegas. Vegas, huh? How much juice is that going to have? Vegas. Still a a good amount? I mean, the first time he who shall not be named first came back. It was a party and everything went great. We got a lot of memes out of it as he said, it was the loudest it's ever been. He gave us the, Oh, oh really? And uh, then the next time he came back, he scored a million goals and then went on to won the Stanley cup. So it feels like, you know, Hey, still boo. Go for it. Saturday night, 7 PM Vegas. After that, it's Winnipeg, Toronto. Those five games I mean, that, there's there's not really a pushover in the bunch. Say what you will about Toronto, but for the Sabres, Panthers-Lightning, Vegas-Winnipeg-Toronto. I mean, the Panthers have 80 points. The, the Leafs have 74. Winnipeg's having a good season. They've got 77. Vegas got 71. Not an easy stretch. So we'll see if what the Sabres have been able to do here is really find another level and, and be a better team. Or if it's a little bit more of, you know, a couple nice wins, a couple good breaks, things aren't falling apart. They have beaten teams like, you know, Columbus along the way here, which, you know, they did lose 9-4 to Columbus earlier in the season. So, anyway, Sabres Head Coach Don Granato, when we get back, as uh, we get our weekly visit in. Sabres Head Coach is next here on WGR.